good morning. Welcome to the Old School, a podcast about the American education system. It's quirks, it's idiosyncrasies, it's peccadillos, it's problems, solutions, and so far as we know the solutions. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Good morning, Herr Miller. How are you today? Um, I would be fine. However, the bane of all parent existence is happening today. Uh, today? Today. Um, what would that be? Birthday party. And not just any birthday party. We're not talking about like going to someone's house, having a pinata in the backyard, have some some blindfolded kid whack a pinata nine ways to Sunday. Are you being culturally insensitive now? No, I like pinatas. Who doesn't like pinatas? Secret troves of candy? That's a no-brainer. But what I'm saying is, you know, in a house, it could potentially be a bit more of a sedate affair because no one wants kids running amok in their own house. No. But... I get to go to a birthday party, take my kid to, well, <clears throat> assuming our national and international audience here, it basically amounts to like a gigantic romper room is where I'm taking my kid. And that it's meant for chaotic, screaming, yelling, joyful, slightly fear-induced yelling um at a facility like that's particularly made for birthday parties and that's what i have signed myself up for for two hours this afternoon so you're going to be monitoring actively and helping save the kids from themselves no i'm not monitoring at all the thing is i'm taking a book i'm getting away from the parents i'm going to tell my kid where i am she can come find me at intervals that suit her purpose and I'm just going to hang out there for two hours and try to block out the noise. So she'll be excited to get away from you once she sees that the prospect of all the, you know, the, those little, what did you call it? Romper room? Yes. Yeah. And here, here's the problem that some parents have. Some parents assume that their kid's world sets and rises on their desire to be with them. Those, my kid doesn't want to be with me. She doesn't want anything to do with me, at least not in the two hours that she can go climbing on stuff or, you know, running around or what have you. So I'm not going to be with her like some of these other parents you see walking their kids through these mazes. And the parents are like narrating what the kid is doing as the kid is doing it. Look at you. You just climbed over that. Did you see that block you just climbed over? Oh, my gosh. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I've never used that voice on this, this podcast. Give a crap what my kid is doing. I mean, so. She can do that. And by the way, it was a a great impersonation of several mothers I've heard. Okay. And at least one father. So, well, aren't aren't they more interested in filming the experience so they can post it real time? Yeah, but that's just it. The the narration is not just for the sake of the kid who has to be reminded, apparently, of what the kid just did, but it's also a narration for the video that's being shot, almost like action camera you know like a, J- a jason Bourne film you know to kind of watching the kid going through all the you know the machinations of some sort of obstacle course it's disheartening is what it is and gone were the days gone were the days where the parents just dropped the kid off and said see you which strangely enough we actually had one of those a month ago it was intoxicatingly liberating well, that, that is the beauty of those places. As long as there's like one parent um, in case something goes wrong, you really could. Well, 911, but that's it. 
Yeah, yeah. You could go to a watering hole if you wanted to, or or just uh, drop off and go back home and watch baseball. Or is... I still might. Yeah, I'm not completely sure I need to be there, but who knows? That's what you used to say for faculty meetings. <laughs> I really need to be here. <laughs> is this really uh, in my pay grade? I don't think it is. <laughs> so it's what like are we a, doing here? It's a different kind of uh, a faculty meeting with the kids bouncing up and down. Well. I don't know. So that's what I got going on today. Hopefully, well, you're beyond that. You don't, you don't even talk to your kids anymore, do you? You just let oh, we, them do their own thing. No, we do all kinds of things together. Um, really? But um, so, so what? What was that introduction? What? What is that? How is that going to connect to our topic? Unless we want to talk about bounce houses, because we probably have more there. <laughs> well, I would suggest to you that at while well, at the same time, there are certain things that are inherently tiring. Uh, in the parental profession, if you want to call it a profession, some would say a calling. I would say, <laughs> I would suggest that there are things within the teaching profession that are equally exhausting things that might, and outside of all the other stuff that we've talked about in the past, but you know, the things that make you just worn out by the end of the day. Do you well, know was, how long is your, how long is your list? My list? Um, yes. Everyone has a list. Well, I mean, I haven't been in the classroom in a few years, but I, I mean, I can see you on the screen and, and yes. you look really tired, Ross. Yes, I am. Um, and it's, we're, we're just starting Christmas break. It's a, the first couple of days before you, well, actually you don't get bored. I used to get bored um, pretty quickly. Having There's always time. something to do. Well, I, I would tend to work, which is, is my own. Uh, own yeah, yeah, it is. It's a failing. It's um, <laughs> That's why I have uh, failed where others have succeeded. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, um, but there is something about the the vacation that it's out there, and once it's there, you realize how tired you are mm. um, within the rhythm of a school year. Um, but I, I I've held that there, there's um, when you're a teacher and you're teaching kids of any age, and you're in a room with them with a door closed. Uh, or open or whatever the case may be, um, your energy leaves. It goes from you directly to them. And cumulatively, uh, that that takes a toll. Um, so I think it's the nature of, of teaching. And then we can get specific on things that are uh, exceptionally exhausting. But I, I think just being there for one uh, creates uh, a lack of a loss of energy. And I think that we're certainly not different from any other profession. I think every profession has those soul-sucking elements to it that uh, somehow deprive us of a will to live and to carry on. Um, so, I mean, teaching is certainly not unique in that in that instance. But uh, you know, cert- I think it's a different kind of fatigue. I mean, for the office worker. God knows I could never do it. I couldn't, I could not sit at a desk all day long. I would shoot myself. If, if you were working for me, I'd put you in a cubicle so <laughs> be out, out in front of everybody. I'd be sitting there with a dull knife trying to find the vein that courses across oh, my gosh. wrist. <laughs> well, but our whole premise is blown away. We're, I mean, we're, we're saying that teaching is exceptionally exhausting. It uh, is. Um, so we, I guess we need to make, make that point, you know, having worked, uh, in a corporate type environment, you know, I always thought that I had a lot of control of my time, except for meetings, mm. and 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 meetings would 
do that, but in a different way. You're you're not having to manage um, behavior, <laughs> misbehaviors during the meeting, and 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 really telling people to, telling people to stop talking when you're making a point. You know, you've never had you've never had to. Because let me tell you something. As much as much as teachers kvetch about what students do in the classroom, I yeah. find that they do the exact same thing inside of meetings. Oh well, I mean, I was in an authority position where. You know, I, I I was talking and it was, you know, th- that was that was the role. But it wasn't like a faculty meeting. I, I know what you mean. That's a first of all, it's a large unruly group, and about ninety eight percent of them don't want to be there. Um, yeah, and, and so it's a question of power. And um, yeah, that 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 would be. I bet that's like the hell of a principal. You know, they 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 probably don't look forward to those interactions i would imagine i wouldn't but i mean you know i think more i think some principals have more of a tolerance for that than others mainly because of what they perceive to be their the exercise of their power or status or could be influence or what have you but i think for me the thing that kind of looms largest for me is just my interaction with my kids because i love my students and I, I i like hanging out with them i like talking history with them I like the give and take uh, that a good group can permit and allow within the course of the classroom. But the issue for me is, and just just kind of explain why this is at the top of my list, is that I am what has been coined a situational extrovert, where when when the situation requires it, I can be quote unquote on, but I don't necessarily get my energy from other people. I get my energy to a certain extent by being by myself or being with only a handful of people with whom I can talk on an equal level, equal basis, whatever the case may be. And so for me, I think the thing that exhausts me the most is just simply doing my job as much as I like it, as much as some people say I'm good at it. But I think that's, and you go home, you're just like, I just don't want to talk. I don't want to deal with anybody. Unfortunately, my current situation kind of precludes that that luxury because I have a I have a kid. The kid demands attention. She's not terribly interested at the existential crisis I'm facing at the end of every day when I'm just tired of talking with people. And so she has become kind of a she's become kind of a, a de-stressor to a certain extent, just because I've kind of started to use her and use time with the family to kind of get away from you know being on in the classroom. But uh, how did you handle, because you're not necessarily one who derives energy from other people. You consider yourself an introvert, wouldn't you? Oh, totally. Um, quite a profound introvert, meaning, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, probably more than most, you know, cra- craving time alone. There, there's, a, there's a balance in there, but I'm kind of like you. I do kind of, I guess I would, I light up when I'm, on stage and teaching is definitely being right on stage and and you have to have a a level of energy that's more than your i guess you're like your standing weight your normal right. level of, of energy um, but it, it it definitely took it out of me and and what i noticed is you know there are times when you as a teacher cruise you know mm-hmm. you, you pass out a worksheet you sit at your desk and grade papers. And that, and that, that is, that's a reality of teaching and, and you kind of sense your energy, you know, you can't be on all the time. And I've, 
made terrible lesson plans when after the class realized my goodness i was on stage the whole time talking and holding court right so you you have control to build in some a little bit of rhythm of you know being by yourself in that room but then the the stress happens when you know it's not perfect meaning you're supposedly grading papers and students are supposedly working and then you realize that you have to redirect right and then you kind of it breaks the spell and then you have to redirect and eventually you decide well it's actually easier and less energy if i'm just up there teaching you know <laughs> because you're not having to correct behavior all the time it's like uh suddenly it gets your dander up and eventually you say okay no more of this and so so you you do get a little I, i'm not going to say really angry but you get frustrated of the lack of control you have mm. you know because you know the ultimately and this is what one of my first principles told me you know he we talked at the end of the year as my summative conference and we were talking about student discipline and he said he said, Steve, uh, eventually, when you, when you think about it, um, students allow you to teach. They, and you, you have as much control as, as you think you do. However, there are things outside which would be every one of those students. Um, and and I, I think that equation creates stress you know, for an introvert, you know, for others. And I've seen teachers who are fed by um a lively classroom and and they can sit at their desk you know comfortably while students are working or not or and and for me that's really really stressful and i and i'm i'm amazed at teachers who who do gain energy mm. from a little bit of commotion you know that's not me so how do you because you've been in a position to mentor teachers um in particularly new teachers. So I wonder how you broach this subject because it is to a certain extent, the life force that either makes a teacher effective or not effective is their ability to interact and their ability to hold court uh, for lack of a better word. And, and as a part of that, part of that has to include times where they are doing more work than you are and your ability to be able to step away for a second and let them kind of teach themselves a little bit. So how do you, how do you even mentor a teacher on that basis really talk about the the relationship and you're you're kind of training a class and, and it's not immediate and, and t- teachers new teachers make the mistake of thinking that they can set this up you know in a day or a week um, but students gain uh, confidence in you and they, they they start to respect you but it, you have to earn it you know mm. over time and so you're creating systems um so I, I think it's more about balancing the, the level of control in that room and there's there's a sweet spot but it's not always the same with each class of students you know sometimes you know you need to be um you have you know lots of rules and, and keep people in place and you know it because you can see you know even one or two kids can can shift that right um and, and if it's relaxed you're, you're you want to make sure that it's not too comfortable Right. Um, so I think I, you know, I talked to them about finding that balance. Do take, you know, work in some breaks so you're not up there all the time. You know, mix things up um, in class. But but if you're, you know, I think every teacher has to enjoy being around students on you know some level, uh, or or they're not going to last because you you're having a year long conversation with groups of of students and it has to give you something you need to get something out of it a lot of teachers i've seen 
you know want to minimize the impact or the you know of, of individual of all students you know they, they right. just want to see talking heads you know sitting in there and following instructions and taking tests and you know that that might be great for a year or two but that's not a career i think a couple of things one <clears throat> i think yes i think you're right you have to be uh you have to like the notion of being in a room full of kids <clears throat> i think you have to be tolerant and accepting of the fact of whatever age group you teach that there are natural shenanigans and knuckleheadedness that goes with each grade level that's why a high school teacher would probably never make it in an elementary school that's why an elementary teacher would have an incredibly difficult time transitioning to a high school because there's something about the personality of the, of the person that goes to elementary or the person that goes to uh, high school that for them, it's easier to deal with the shenanigans of one group or the other. And we're not even talking about the middle school and the bunch of hellions down there. But I think part of it is that I think also part of it is that when you set your kids to work by themselves and you step away from it a little bit, that has to be something that they can see that there's a value to what they're doing. And there's a value. There's a reason why you're doing it this way. Because otherwise, if you do that too much, they'll get that they don't that you don't really want to have anything to do with them, and you just want them to shut up and fill out forms and then be on their way. Definitely, need, need, there needs to be a bit of urgency, you know, for for that kind of thing and some some structure, but not just you know, here's some time to prepare for class because they're going to prepare for math. Yes. You know, <laughs> I, I, we talked about that before. I, I taught German and. Every time things weren't rolling on a quick pace, the math books would open. <laughs> I don't know. I'm fighting math. You know, now we fight cell phones, but it used to be the math book would open because, you know, they had something that was due and they had to figure it out. Um, but I, I'm sure there's not any math books open in, in Herr Miller's history class. Um, it is interesting that you bring that up because when I do have a kid, start to go rogue on me it is the math book that comes out <laughs> yeah we've we've taught too long you know yes we, we, we've seen it we, we've seen this rodeo before so outside of just the fatigue associated yeah. with in this case two introverts operating <laughs> as extroverts right what's it what what else would be for you kind of like a high level of uh, a source of fatigue and just you know, wearing you down over the course of the time. Uh, not to be too dramatic, but it, it, it's almost like you have a 24 seven guilt trip as a teacher, because there's always something you should be doing. Um, papers to grade. Um, most teachers don't just finish their grading and then they go home. You know, it's, it's right. something that they uh, take home with them. And then maybe you decide not to do it one day and then they'll stack up and you have multiple classes so so that's hanging over you and it's like doing the dishes you know they never you never finish the job um there's always more and the same thing with homework and if you have 120 kids or whatever and you have to assign things and, and that's the the tough part you <laughs> know if you don't um things kind of slow down um so you're either grading tests uh, or you're grading assignments but there are, but that's you know the guilt thing because there's always something there you should be doing I, I never worried too much about lesson planning because you know i, I was pretty free and, and i in in my approach i knew what i was doing and, mm -hmm. and so that that wasn't a stressor but definitely the 
the grading was. Um, and then there are these imposed deadlines, you know, when the grades are actually due or progress reports. Um, and I don't know about you, but there was a flurry of activity when there's that type of imposed deadline where you have to submit those grades. And I never liked those. And those, again, those things keep coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there, there, it's, there's a relentless push uh, to keep you working. And, you know, the joke is that uh, what is school? It's where kids go to watch adults work. Um, but they're, you know, they're, teachers are working all the time. And, and the great teachers are doing, you know, thinking about lesson plans and things outside. But, but to me, it, it, was, it was always the grading because it was always there. I think the idea for me, I'm, you're talking about the work, you know, there are certain kinds of grades that are easier to do than others. So I think the thing that always kills me is essays. The notion of grading essays and part of the problem is that i have the attention span of a gnat and i cannot hang with grading essays more than five to ten at a time and i have to stop for a while but you know the other problem is of course is poorly written essays that's the other that's the other element uh to the to the fatigue it's just grading stuff that you know is going to be subpar or that you have a concern that the kids did not pick up on one nuance or another dealing with the prompt. And you're just kind of waiting to see how many different ways the kids screw up on a particular assignment. Now, not all kids, of course, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's joys in reading a great essay as well. And I do also have a lot of kids that write well, but I think, you know, the notion of it's a little bit like having the fatigue that comes with having to answer the same question over and over and over again. You know, that, you know, uh, no matter what it is, and inevitably, it's never a question over something of import. It's always something trivial. It's always something on the, uh, the, it's a tangentially related to what they should be worried about. And because of that, I think that that is, that's a kind of a, kind of an additional thorn in the side, as far as being able to fight off fatigue. There is a lot of repetition and, you know, quite possibly the, the students are all trying to anticipate what you want. And so there's probably not the kind of variety of things jumping off the page. Um, but, you know, depending on the, on the subject matter, you know, some teachers don't grade at home and mm-hmm. is there extra compensation for the, you know, for the English teachers who probably do three times as much grading as the average teacher outside of English, you know, they, they put in, and and history uh, as well so there, there's a little tension there i think but <clears throat> i had a technique <clears throat> which i don't know if this would apply to every type of essay but i would always sort the essays you know these are german essays whatever they were doing um from my expectation of the best to the worst because i knew my students really well put them right. in that order and usually i would read them in that in that order from best to worst and and shift them around based upon what I actually see. And mm-hmm. that created, you know, some structure and it made it easier for me to do it, you know, and, and, but I, you know, eventually you're writing comments and, and, and doing things, but it sped the process. Cause in a sense, you are ranking them mm-hmm. and just, just to cut to the chase and say, okay, we're number one, we're trying to put a grade on this. Um, so you're re- reading them with purpose and, you know, how many students do look at the comments um, and and make any change based on them because usually when students get a essay you know they they look right at the top to the grade right um, and there's probably not another draft and so they look to the grade and maybe they don't even go through what took you 
hours and hours, you know, for the class to do. Um, do you think about that, that you're laboring kind of um, in, in vain to some extent? Um, I do feel that, I do find that to a certain degree. And, and it's easy to see when you hear the questions that are asked, how come I got this? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but in pink or in red along the margins are a bunch of questions or comments. That was me, by the way. I'm the one that wrote that stuff on the, on the margins there. So. <laughs> it wasn't your graduate <laughs> assistant. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Uh, yes. And um, <laughs> if you've taken a closer, upon uh, closer inspection, I think you'll find out why you got no credit for evidence presented <laughs> or, no, or no green or whatever the case may be. And so <clears throat> that's frustrating, although uh, it does pro provide for potential for humorous comebacks when uh, students ask dumb questions, you know. So, but um, I do wish it does seem like kids do not really glean anything from one essay to the next. And I was like, and, you know, and you see that because mistakes are repeated, you know. And that's tiring too. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, I, I got a kid. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, she's a particularly headstrong one. I'm not quite sure where she got that, but uh, nevertheless, you know, she, she has a, a stubborn streak in her and I'll sit there and I'll tell her the same thing over and over again. I said, I said, I said, sweetheart, I feel like, I feel like I'm having a deja vu moment. I know we've talked about this before. Why are we still talking about it? Why are you still doing the thing that we had already discussed was not a good idea to do? <laughs> and so part of that's just kind of the nature of the beast. You know, everyone, everybody has occupational hazards they have to deal with. And when it comes to teaching children, or in my case, teenagers, one of that is the constant ad nauseum repeating of warnings or instructions or advice or whatever the case may be. So I think that part of that comes with the show. Well, I, I wonder about um, assigning a, a follow-up. I mean, a, almost like the first draft, and, and then you're having to grade the whole set of essays again. You know, so what what do you you know what what could be a recommendation, a best practice? Because I think this is not you know unique. You know, I think all teachers feel like they're putting <clears throat> a lot of work into something that you know is not getting a lot of follow-up. Uh, so I don't really have a solution because I don't want to grade them all over again. Um, but some some teachers will allow if it's a lower grade that you make some revisions, and the grade can go up, you know, maybe to, you know, a little bit. Uh, do you do something like that? I don't. But what I one of the things that I do is that I encourage students to kind of um, deconstruct the essay process a little bit. So if, let's say that part of the their failing, as it were was um, on a thesis statement, you know, the ability to construct a decent thesis statement. I said, listen, there's plenty of practice prompts that can be found out in the internet, in the world, or what have you. Take one that you feel fairly good about, brainstorm it, you know, you know, think through the question, and then construct for yourself what you think might be an appropriate thesis. And then bring it in during tutorials, we'll look over it, and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll pick it apart and see if it indeed holds muster, you know, um, and one of the other kind of assessments I give are DBQs, not I, all AP teachers do this, but is DBQs, which are uh, prompts that are based upon information found within a series of, uh, of curated documents that are presented to the student to use to build an argument, to prove an argument. 
And so part of what you encourage them to do, because every history book is 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 chock-a-block full of documents, that, the likes of which they would find on a DBQ essay. I say, grab one of those, do an analysis on it, and then let's talk about what you came up with as far as analysis. Now, we do this in class, but you know, if they practice the individual components of the essay without having to write the entire essay again, I think that that can prove to be just as beneficial as anything else. Now, how many of those kids do that is a different matter, but that's something that allows the kids to practice without having to do the whole damn thing, you know, where they're, you know, brainstorming and then writing and they're spending 35, 40 minutes writing, but rather it can be more focused and they can, they can highlight those areas where they are the weakest. Not enough students do that, but enough that, you know, certainly I'm, I don't have an issue with, you know, going over stuff during a tutorial time for instance. So Hermel, you're getting a little animated, I, I think, because you're going into the, I mean, the point you're making is, is that there are repetitive tasks and often your words uh, fall on deaf ears and you, you have to keep doing the mm-hmm. same thing. And, and you're, you're just in vacation. I bet, you know, in two weeks from now, um, you'll let a little bit of that slip away and, and, and then you'll start it over again. But the, the point is that it's a, there are there's a there are routines to teaching uh, and there are frustrations because it's not a linear process and students are uh, you off, you have to repeat yourself and mm-hmm. I mean, imagine you have 20 30 people in a room they're not all going to you know get the message because they're tuning you out to some extent and it's a it's a continuum of mm-hmm. tuning out that the teacher but doesn't mean it's not frustrating um, because you you think that you know, I've, I've presented this, we've discussed it, it should have uh, been uh, absorbed. But but really, so th- there's a natural frustration, I guess, inherent in teaching groups of students. Um, is there anything else we're missing? Because the, you know, I, I think there's something about, you know, being in a building, a single building, and, and there's just an, a natural stress when the, to me, when the bells ring, it, it turns things into a little bit of chaos um, for five minutes and some schools get that even shorter to you know keep incidents out of the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about that. There's a rush to the end of the school day divided by chaos, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat controlled chaos, shuffling kids around, and then they come back in and you take a breath and you, that has to have an effect, you know, on, on the teacher, you know, those transitions and then suddenly, oh, now we're in history right. and, and you have to gather those students again, meaning assert yourself, which d- does take a lot of energy. It does. Now I'm, I'm uh, helped along by that and uh, assisted by, and I always have been, I think one, because I'm a male, our, our, our fellow uh, sisters in the profession, they, you know, they take it in the shorts a lot as far as like unruly kids. And I think a lot of certainly some kids misbehave in certain classes for what they perceive to be a weakness in the fact that the teacher is a woman, they're not going to do certain things or whatever the case may be. But I'm a guy, I'm a big guy. I have a big voice. And so when I'm in a classroom and I have a, I have a, a, a dominating personality, but I have an assertive one. And so I think the combination of all those three things help minimize that. As far as the idea about, about what you were talking about with regards to the chaos, I think every teacher 
especially every effective good teacher has a tolerance level for a little bit of chaos. I'm not sure if that uh, is as crippling as it might be for somebody else. As far as going into a building every day, I think that's more kind of a existential kind of issue. You know, the, the realization every day you walk into the same door and you go through the same routine, there is that kind of that notion of, my God, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> There's nothing interesting that's happening. It's the same crap every day, you know. But um, I think for me also, for a profession that that touts itself as being one almost as if you're your own boss, I think the thing that tends to also dishearten teachers is how much is outside of their control and how much what is outside of their control is given extra weight in how they should do their jobs. You know, the poor schmuck sitting in a cubicle, his life or her life is heavily structured and heavily regulated. Mine is too, to, to a degree, but there, you know, one of the keys and one of the um, uh, pluses that's often talked about is, you know, when that door closes, that's, that's your time to shine and that's your way of being able to control events. But so much of what we have to deal with on a regular basis, be it administrative or logistical or what have you, exists outside of that cocoon. And because of that, I think that can also create a fatigue in the mind and just a kind of a wearing down of a person by the time you get to Christmas break or by the time you get to spring break or by the time you get to summer. I think that's what you're kind of shaking off as you enter into those various times off. And and you do get both sides of it because we as teachers crave it also. We crave being, you know, the regularity of each class, mm-hmm. something that you get a kind of a win because you finish it. There's not a lot of celebrating in, you know, you don't like give yourself a high five and say that was a great class <laughs> uh, because you have to get right back on stage. Right. Um, and so there, there's not that victory lap. I like that film stand and deliver with Edward James almost at the mm-hmm. very end. He's walking alone down the hall and kind of raises his hand like a little, <laughs> little subtle celebration, but that's, you know, there, there's no time for that. You know, you, right. you know, but, but we, but we still love it. And we haven't talked too much about that, that other side. There's, there's something that the, I mean, the, the teacher gains, it's, it's not just an adrenaline rush, but I'll tell you what, when you're not teaching, you don't, you're missing something. I mean, yes. I've been out of the classroom for a while and it has to do, I mean, there's a lot of laughter in a classroom and uh, there's, there's some, some really good moments and, um, but, but the rhythm of the year, you know, I, I do miss that and the rhythm of the day, you know, the, that, that predictability um, you, you can feed on that a, a little bit. And so I could imagine getting that maybe people will say this is stupid, but going on vacation, there's a bit of a transition where you, you're you're out of that and probably happens on Monday, you know, the first day um, when when you're kind of left to your own devices a little bit, but 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 we feed on it. I would I would you know, and I did that for about 25 years. Well, we've experienced it. I mean, there have been times, for example, as you and I both took groups to Germany, and there were times where that plane took off shortly after the end of the school year. Right. And you do feel like you've not had a chance to decompress from that experience before you can kind of fully engage with the next experience that it does take some time. That's a, you know, really an interesting thing to do, right? When you finish the school year, suddenly jump on a plane, <laughs> jump on a plane with 20, 20 students. Um, but it's, it's an interesting metaphor. 
you know, to be, you know, cause essentially you are on a plane with students all year, right. <laughs> catch another one. Um, but, um, but we, we definitely chose this, uh, this uh, mission, right. Yeah, um, and we, you know, I, I initially chose teaching because of the money and I was misinformed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but what keeps you there, you know, that that's a, probably another, another episode um, but the, but there there is something to it uh, despite uh, losing money every month um, how much how much is physical fatigue a part of because I, mean, I think some people look at the notion of the professor in the front of the classroom and there's right. not there there's not an an, uh, an idea <laughs> in people's head that that is a a physical exercise as much as it is a mental one and you, you know, in your early years, perhaps at a time when it didn't hit you as much, you know, you coached and, and that too has its own physicality that kind of wears on the body. How much would you say that the physical was also an element of what made you so tired by the time summer break came along? Well, you're definitely on, on your feet a lot. Um, um, but I, I, and we talked about the beginning of the year to me, that was exhausting because you're building up your endurance mm-hmm. physically, vocally. Um, once you hit your stride, I, I, you know, it's amazing, you know, what teachers can do in their endurance. And, and you mentioned professors, mm-hmm. I mean, they're teaching, you know, maybe, you know, three classes that might meet once or twice a week, right. their, their contact time with, with students is a joke. Right. Compared to a high school or an elementary teacher, middle school teacher, they're with kids most of the day. Maybe they have an hour of time, you know, planning time. Right. But it's a it's a grind. And and there's no comparison because you really don't get a break. And I, I think, you know, I probably said this earlier, but just being in a room with students, no matter what you're doing, it takes a toll and then you mm-hmm. do it again and again and again. So I think it's, it's cumulative, but uh, I would say personally, my energy, you know, just got better. You know, and then you have to build it up again in, in January. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think we made a pretty good stab at this. I think we covered some important topics and uh, you know, perhaps certainly some things have popped up that we can consider for future episodes. But uh, I guess at this point, here at the onset of the Christmas vacation, I will tell you, Herr Dr. Bourgeois, Merry Christmas. Have a great break, and we'll see you the next time around. We'll see you, Herr Miller. It was fun, and um, we actually were saying goodbye, but we don't stop ever. This, no. this podcast continues, so we 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 don't take a break. I think our it's next like the U.S. mail it would be on Christmas Day, and kids opening a presents. Nope, we're going to do the podcast. Yes, yeah, hold on for a, a few minutes here, an hour, hour and a half. We shall do missile drills. That's right. (laughs) Sometime you'll explain what that means. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right, sir. Um, Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen.